This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's saying that prophecy in Psalm 22 and Psalter 47, Jesus saying, I live, referring to his resurrection, I live, and the purpose of his living, or one purpose, is, and will declare thy fame where brethren gather in thy name. So through the reading and the preaching of the Scriptures, we're confident that the resurrected, living Jesus Christ does speak. 1 Corinthians 15, we read verses 1 through 28, the first 28 verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if we keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. Now, If Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. 
For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. alive. Every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at His coming. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For He hath put all things under His feet. But when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is accepted which did put all things under Him. And when all things shall be subdued unto Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 17. Lord's Day 17. I remind you that the Heidelberg Catechism is explaining our faith, what, the, what we believe, the content of that faith, and in explaining what we believe or who we believe more accurately, it is explaining the Apostles' Creed in its description of Jesus Christ, who the third day He rose again from the dead, we confess. And so the, the Heidelberg Catechism asks in Lord's Day 17 regarding that resurrection, what doth the resurrection of Christ profit or benefit us? And the answer, first, by His resurrection, He has overcome death that He might make us partakers of that righteousness which He had purchased for us by His death. Secondly, we are also by His power raised up to a new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were to read through the New Testament, and particularly the history of the New Testament, and the spread of the Gospel in the early church, 
you will find that one of the main themes that is preached is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Paul traveled on his missionary journeys and brought what we call the Gospel to the different synagogues and and cities, he emphasized one point of doctrine among others. And often when we think upon the Gospel and the one point of doctrine that Paul would have emphasized as he spread the Gospel, we often think the cross. The cross. And that is true. Paul preached the cross. Christ in Him crucified. But beloved, the point of doctrine that he explicitly mentions, even more than the cross, so the cross is always implied, but the point of doctrine that Paul and the apostles explicitly mention more than any other doctrine as they preached and preached. Read Acts for yourself. Is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is tied intimately to the cross because Jesus has to die on the cross in order to rise from the dead, having died on the cross. Without any de-emphasis upon the cross, we must emphasize just as much in our preaching and in our hearing of the Gospel that He rose. He is the risen Savior. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ changed the Sabbath day from the last day, the seventh day of the week, to the first day of the week. That's why we're here this morning instead of being here yesterday on Saturday in order to celebrate and to emphasize the resurrection of of our Savior. Think about that. Christ did not change the Sabbath day to Friday. Though He died on the cross on Good Friday as we call it. But He changed the Sabbath day to Sunday, the first day of the week, that we might as the people of God on the Lord's Day, the risen Lord's Day, commemorate and consider that He rose from the dead. What makes the resurrection so important? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains just how important and necessary the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is. In the first part of the chapter, as we read, you notice that Paul he establishes the fact of the resurrection. He proves it by pointing to the Scriptures. He died according to the Scriptures, Paul says. And He rose on the third day according to the Scriptures. Scriptures prove it. And then Paul also establishes the fact of the resurrection by referring to the eyewitnesses. Many saw Jesus Christ in His risen body after He died. He lists many of them And then last, he says in verse 8, He was seen of me also. He establishes the fact of Jesus' resurrection. And then Paul shows us how necessary it is. 
Beloved, you must understand the essence of what Paul is saying. He is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the Christian religion is no more. A dead Lord who remains dead is not a Lord. If Christ be not risen, verse 14, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Then as I stand here on the pulpit this morning, and and really every Sunday morning, everything that I preach is empty. That's what vain means. It's a bunch of rubbish. And, And if the people of God who hear the preaching believe what the preacher says, and Christ is not risen... Then, then your believing is vain as well. It's empty. It's nothing. It's an imaginary Savior then that we preach and you believe. An idol along with the rest of the world if Christ is not risen. Worse, Paul continues in verse 15, if He did not rise, then, then we're a bunch of liars. What I preach is not simply empty or vain. It's a lie. And you're believing a lie. And more, Jesus Christ Himself felt Himself lied, for He said He would rise. Even worse, verse 17, and we'll consider this more in a few moments, He says that, we would yet be in our sins. No resurrection of Jesus Christ means you are not forgiven. You may imagine that all your sins are wiped away, but no resurrection means no covering for your sins. And verse 19 continues, we would be hopeless. We wouldn't have the hope of eternal life. No hope of the resurrection of the soul or body. And then he uses the word miserable. Of all men in this world, of every other religion in this world, we would be of all men most miserable the most disillusioned, the men and women to be pitied the most, literally. Because we believe a whopping lie if Christ be not risen. So vital is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ that without it, Christianity would not exist. It would be the most foolish of all religions. And you hear, don't you? That's what the world says about Christianity. That's how they mock us. Pitiful. You believe an illusion. But, Paul says, verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead? He is He is risen indeed, and the world will one day find that out, though they mock on today that He is risen. And because we know by faith that He is risen, 
We are not, even though they say so, we are not of all men most miserable, but we are of all men most blessed. More accurately, the only ones who are truly blessed. For Christ is risen. And He gives us great profit, as the Catechism puts it. Consider with me this essential doctrine to Christianity, Christ's resurrection and its profit. First, the proof of justification. That's the profit or benefit First, we follow the lines of the Heidelberg Catechism, the proof of justification. Christ's resurrection profits us. Secondly, with the power of holiness. And finally, Christ's resurrection profits us with a pledge of glory. First profit can be summed up this way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that we are really forgiven of all our sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus truly paid for our justification, for our righteous standing before God. That's, the catech- that's what the catechism means when it says, first, by His resurrection, He has overcome death, that He might make us partakers of that righteousness which He had purchased, us for, purchased for us by His death. To be clear, The resurrection of Jesus Christ itself does not earn or purchase for us this righteousness or justification. His death did. But the resurrection proves that He did did indeed purchase it for us by His death. That's the catechism. And to break it down in simple terms so that we can understand how the resurrection proves justification, we first need to meditate on how Christ, when He came to this earth, was guilty. Children, when Christ came to this earth, He was unrighteous before God. That's what God declared regarding Jesus. No, don't misunderstand. Christ in Himself and of Himself did not have any sin. You know that. Consider that a few Lord's Days ago. In Lord's Day 14, we read question and answer 36. He's our mediator. And with His innocence and Perfect holiness covers in the sight of God all my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. Jesus had no sin in Himself. When He was conceived in Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Him so that He had no sin in His soul. He had no original sin from Adam passed on to Him. He had no guilt of Himself. So why did I say, children, that when Jesus came to this earth, God declared him unrighteous. Well, because though he had no sin in and of himself, God 
placed all our sins, all our unrighteousness upon Jesus Christ and judged Him as such. That became His legal status before the judgment seat of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. To the same Corinthian church that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He that is God hath made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? He Himself knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Or Isaiah 53 verse 6. The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ, when He came to this earth, became unrighteousness with, became unrighteous with our unrighteousness before God. Imagine this, children. You need to understand this. Imagine this. God the Judge. Imagine God taking out book after book and on every page writing down every single sin that you have committed. Now, He doesn't need to do this. He doesn't literally do this. He has it all in His mind. He knows them. But think upon God writing down as the judge on His record book every single sin that you have committed. Not only the ones that you commit that others can see. Not only the sins that you might do privately, not only the sins that you know you commit in your heart secretly, hidden from others, but also the, the many sins that you don't even know about, that you're not even aware of. He, write, he knows them, and he writes every single one down in his book. It would fill books and books, wouldn't he? And let's say he wrote every single sin that you committed as well as every single sin that all His people ever committed in the past, present, and future. Books and books would have records of all those sins. Would fill this world when Jesus came to this earth. God the Judge said, all the sins recorded in my book I take as a record of Jesus' sins. They're His. His unrighteousness. We're getting to the resurrection. We're getting to how the resurrection proves something. But we must understand this first in order to get there. And having all our unrighteousness imputed unto Him, Jesus had to suffer for it. All His life we've seen. That's what we've been considering in the last few Lord's Days. He had to suffer the valley of Hinnom for our sins all through His life and especially on the cross. He had to suffer hell, the infinite wrath of God against all our, our, our unrighteousness imputed unto Him. We can sum up all of that suffering in the word death. Death. 
Death we have seen is not only a separation of body and soul, not only a separation from this earth, from our earthly, from our loved ones here below, but death is a separation from God, in which death God pours out hell upon body and soul eternally. The wages of sin. The wages of our unrighteousness is death. Romans 6.23 Unimaginable, inexpressible anguish of death. And here's the wonder. Here's the wonder of Christ's death. It's in that word that He spoke on the cross. John 19.30 Tetelestai meaning finished It is finished. I have come to the end of suffering the eternal death which all that unrighteousness deserves. What no no man could do, no mere man could do, astounding. That's the miracle of the Son of God. With His Godhead, He could sustain in Himself all of the infinite wrath of God, all of death, and suffer it to its end. It is finished, he says. And he emptied the last dregs of that cup of death and died. It is finished. Accomplished. All punishment for unrighteousness. The catechism says, in that first part, purchase for us by his death. He paid for it. All that is revealed. And now you begin to see the necessity of the resurrection. Having paid with His death, with His suffering, He has to prove it to the world that He had indeed finished suffering for all our unrighteousness. He had to prove it. Think about it. If Jesus had remained in the grave, dead, what that would have proven is the opposite. It would have proven that Jesus Christ had not finished suffering for all our unrighteousness or all our sins. That's what Paul means in verse 17 when he says, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. If Christ had remained dead and in the grave, that that tomb, still with Jesus' body, declares to us today, Jesus did not conquer sin, but sin has conquered Him. The weight of the unrighteousness which was placed upon Him was too great, too heavy, and the wrath that came upon Him was too much so that it kept Him there. One of two things, or both, would be true if Jesus had died and remained dead. He himself was a sinner and had to suffer for his own sins. A sinner, not a savior. 
he's in hell right now. Or he had tried, he had tried to suffer for all the sins and unrighteousness of his people, but it was just too much. Either way, death and the grave declare Jesus didn't pay for sins. He is unrighteous. And you are yet unrighteous. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And His resurrection proves to the world and to you especially that He has conquered sin. That He indeed paid for our unrighteousness. Our unrighteousness did not finish Him. His unrighteousness did not finish Him. But rather, He finished unrighteousness. He suffered for it fully. He paid, as the Catechism says, He purchased for us unrighteousness. Or righteousness before God. Not unrighteousness, but righteousness before God. Paul puts it negatively here, but Romans 4.25 puts it positively. Who was delivered... Christ was delivered for our offenses, laid upon Him, and was raised again for our justification. Children, all those imaginary books that we thought about, filled with all the sins written down, our sins and all the sins of all of His people, that was placed on Christ's record. It's all erased. No more. Christ's resurrection proves it. We can put it this way, when God raised Jesus from the dead, God was declaring to us, indeed, what my Son said on the cross, that it is finished, it's true. And I raise Him from the dead to prove it. And so, beloved, I call you, believe. Believe in this Jesus Christ, the only Lord, the only Savior. This Jesus Christ, who has not only died to earn your justification or forgiveness, but has also risen. You may not stop with believing simply in the Jesus who died. Of course you must believe in that Jesus. But you must believe in the Jesus who also rose from the dead. Because, think, if you only believe in the Jesus who died, and remain dead, then you are of all men most miserable. You are yet in your sins. His deadness proves you are not forgiven. He has not conquered sin. But those who believe in this Jesus, the true Jesus Christ, who died and then rose, may know with confidence, because the resurrection proves it, that you are no longer in your sins, but you have His righteousness imputed unto you. that He might make us partakers, the Catechism says, of that righteousness 
which he had purchased for us by his death. 2,000 years ago, Jesus proved it. He proved that he had indeed finished suffering for all sin. He proved it to his disciples. But this proving, beloved, is not just to his disciples 2,000 years ago who were able to see the risen Jesus. This proving is to you too today. To each of his people for whom he died, he comes, even in the preaching. He takes your heart. He gives you his life. He turns you to believe in him who rose, in him who speaks as the risen Christ. And through faith, He says to you, even today, on the basis of my death, you are no more in your sins. You're forgiven. And as proven by my resurrection, you are no more in your sins. I forgive you. Which connects us to the second benefit of His resurrection, which the Catechism points out. Not only is the resurrection a proof of our justification or righteousness before God, but His resurrection, secondly, the Catechism says, we are also by His power raised up to a new life. His resurrection benefits us with power unto a holy life. Young people, and all of God's people, that new life that the Catechism speaks of is not talking about the life in the new heavens and the new earth, in heaven. The new life that the risen Christ benefits us with is the new life here in your lifetime. Now, that's the wondrous benefit of the risen Christ. You can say right now, right now I am already living eternally, forever. I have eternal life in me, the holy kind of life. That's the benefit of Christ's resurrection. Memorize that, young people. Memorize that, people of God. That second benefit is so important in our day and age. This is what Reformed believers confess regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I am, by His power, raised up to a new life. And let me explain that. On the cross, you see Christ Jesus earned for us not only a righteous standing, forgiveness before God. But on the cross, when He died and said, it is finished, He was saying in that it is finished, I have also fully earned for my people a holy life. Rights to the Holy Spirit. That's what I've earned. That's what I'm earning at the cross. That's what Jesus meant when He said it is finished. 
I've earned freedom for them from the bondage of sin and Satan. Not only forgiveness, not only justification, but I've earned sanctification. Now, back to the negative. If Christ had remained dead in the tomb, that would have proven that He had not earned our righteous standing before God, and it would have proven that He had also not earned a holy life for us. But now is Christ risen. And that proves He has earned forgiveness and it proves that He has indeed earned holiness, a new life. This risen Christ is alive right now. And He is, 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, verse 45, He has made a quickening spirit. He quickens us. He joins us to Himself by faith, a a living bond because it comes from the living Christ. And through that bond, He works in us His own life. Regeneration. A new man, a new heart. Ephesians 2.1 You hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Having risen from the dead, He puts at the throne of your heart to reign in your life a new man. His life. A new man that is distinct from Himself. From Jesus and from His Spirit. But He creates in you a new man. Empowered. Fully empowered by the Holy Spirit that He sends. And so we not only have a new man, new heart, the catechism says. Doesn't say new man and new heart merely, but a new life. When we sin, though we would not of ourselves repent, He ensures that we repent. He turns us according to His resurrection life. When we walk unbelief for a while, He turns us and He renews us unto believing and unto doing good works out of that faith. When we face a besetting sin that we have to battle all of life, He works in us not to say, I give up. But He works in us to say, I will fight. He even works in us an effort, yes, an effort to fight against our sins. He works new life in us, both to will and to do that which is truly good, not for our justification, but for His delight as those works are sanctified by Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful benefit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we don't boast about it today as though it's by our own strength we're pointing to the risen Lord, the risen Jesus Christ. It gives that to us though we least deserve it. We say with Paul boldly, verse 10, 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not I, meaning not I of myself. I labored, but not I of myself. But the grace of God which was with me, it is the grace of the risen Jesus Christ. Do not diminish this blessing of the risen Jesus Christ. It's a real benefit. The power of the risen Christ may not be diminished with some false modesty. The power of the risen Christ may not be diminished because we fear that we will be accused of legalism or Arminianism if we preach it or confess it. Remember, this is the confession. Not every catechism gives us the confession of the Christian, of the Reformed believer. I am given the power unto a new life. And I emphasize that because there is a real danger of antinomianism. And I'm not accusing any specific person or group of it. But you must beware of that danger that you may discern it if it comes from any person or group. Christ enables us to live a new and holy life. That's what every confessing member says at his confession of faith. I will live a new and godly life because he's confessing the risen Christ. This resurrection power in his people, that Christ works in his people, is not weak. This is resurrection power. What is resurrection power? Or go to the tomb of Lazarus. Or go to the tomb of Jesus. There was a dead man there. And Lazarus was stinking. He couldn't move. Not only. But death had come upon that Lazarus. His body was decomposing. Nothing outwardly could move. Nothing inwardly can move. And here is resurrection power. Lazarus, come forth. And that body, stinking, without a single movement, comes up out of the tomb. All of his inner organs working. And now his body moving. Astounding. Don't let the familiarity of that history not astound you. Resurrection. And that's not just resurrection of the body signified. We get to that in the third point. But that is the kind of resurrection that Christ Jesus, the risen Lord, performs in His people. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raises us from the dead now, today. And here's the point against antinomianism. If one were to insist 
I am still totally depraved, and then period. And mean by that, that I am still totally depraved in the same way as before. So that I cannot, I cannot believe, I cannot do good works, I cannot by His power try and put forth effort in the service of my God. If one insists that I am still totally depraved in the same identical way as the unregenerate or unbeliever in this world, filled with sin, dead. Then I say, not only is that antinomian heresy, that is to deny the risen Lord who gives life, resurrection life, to His people. And more, I say, to those who would deny this. That you may still need to believe in the true Jesus Christ. He is not a dead Lord. He is living. And as the living Lord, He works in the hearts of His people. Resurrection life. He makes us partaker both of justification and sanctification by His resurrection. And finally, the third benefit of Christ's resurrection is a pledge of glory. A pledge of glory. The Catechism says, lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Negatively again, if Christ had remained dead, His body was still in the tomb, that would have left us most miserable. Not only because we would still be in our sins, we would have no power unto a holy life. Also, we would have no hope. But now is Christ risen from the dead. His resurrection is a pledge. And the word pledge to catechism means by pledge, two things. A pledge includes a promise. But a pledge with that promise always has an outward sign. The promise of Jesus is 1 Corinthians 15.52 In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And everywhere in Scripture you hear this. A promise of the resurrection not only of your soul at death, but the promise of the resurrection of your body when Jesus returns. You shall be changed. But Jesus didn't just promise it. That it is a pledge means that He gave us a significant sign with it. 
When you pledge allegiance to the flag, you not only speak words of a promise, of your loyalty to a country, but you direct your eyes to a flag, you take your hand, and as the action of putting that hand over your heart, those are the actions attached to the promise to make it a pledge. Jesus Christ, when He promises, I am the resurrection and the life, He that believeth in Me shall never die, does not only make that promise, but with it, He gave us an action. He with our human body and soul went to the tomb. He died. But with the same human body and soul that you and I have. This was His action. Not only did God raise His body and soul, but Jesus Christ has said Himself to raise His own body and soul, our human body and soul from the dead. That action is part of His pledge to you and to me who are joined to Him by faith. If that human body 2,000 years ago came to life again, Jesus says, I guarantee your human body as well will rise. As first fruits, Paul says, my bo Christ's body rises. And that's a beautiful picture again. Another illustration. First fruits are that which the farmer, the gardener would gather, go out in their fields. First apples, the first peppers, the first grain, corn. First ones that have ripened, they pick and they bring to their home with their families. And they, they enjoy, they enjoy these first fruits, yes, but here's part of the joy of the first fruits. We enjoy those vegetables or that fruit that came first. The joy is that more is coming. More is to come. A full harvest is promised. Christ is the first fruits. Paul says, His resurrection is the first fruits, which we rejoice in. Of itself, we rejoice in. He is not a dead Lord, but a living Lord. Of itself, we rejoice in because that means we're not dead in our sins. We're justified and we're sanctified. But this too, more resurrections are coming. Bodily resurrections. Because Christ is the first fruits, which assures us that we too will be raised. You can be sure of that. The Catechism says it's a sure pledge. There is no reason of that to, to doubt that. Be sure by faith in Jesus Christ. Hear the certainty of that in Job, even in the Old Testament. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though, yes, after 
my skin, worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. What a glorious hope. What a certainty that we have. What a blessed resurrection, the catechism calls it. What joy we may have now in knowing that. And what joy we will have in all its fullness one day when we are raised. Raised to be like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ Himself. With no cancer. With no fatigue. With no sin. With no sorrow. With no disunity in the church. With no attacks from the world. With no pain. You know, isn't that what God is doing to us when He brings us through the trials I just mentioned and more? You know it. You can feel it. He's showing us your hope. Your hope is not just on this earth. But then you would be of all men most miserable. Your hope of a kingdom yet to come. Your blessed resurrection will bring it to pass. The risen Christ will return soon and very soon. If Jesus did not rise, there is no proof of justification. There is no power of a new sanctified life. There is no pledge of a blessed resurrection. But now I declare to you, and He does as well, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.